We're going through Genesis. Here's a recap of where we are. Um, If you're a guest, we're going to welcome you in a minute. We're doing things a little backwards today. We're glad you're here. If you're a regular, get your pen out. Four chapters in 20 minutes. All right, here we go. Um, Here we go. So creation, we've looked at creation. We're going through Genesis. We looked at the fall, the flood, the nations, all this stuff. We've made it to Abraham. So creation, how God displayed his majesty in this explosion of everything that we see. We got to the fall. How man disrupted all of that with uh, choosing his own self-will, and therefore he chose death. We then made it to the flood. How God responded to just kind of the cancerous spread of sin, and he wiped out everybody except for one obedient man. That man who? Noah. Boom. Then we got to the table of nations, um, how how mankind rebuilt, and in that rebuilding um, decided, well, look, God has abandoned us, so we'll just climb our way back to him. And so in their own self-will, they tried to do this on their own merit. That gets us to uh, the spreading out in the Tower of Babel. That made us to Abraham, or Abram last week, where Tyler kicked us off, and he did an awesome job, did he not? And so um, how God took Shem's lineage, who was Noah's son, and through that son decided to keep a remnant. And so that got us to uh, really just the incessant theme of the entire Bible. That being that God redeems and God's plan is redemption. That's the whole story of Genesis, um, how God's going to graciously restore what's broken in our sinfulness. So then Tyler kicked it off last week. And Tyler got us to Abraham, showed us this uh, God's choice of this broken, idolatrous, uh, star-worshipping pagan Abraham and how God was going to bring about redemption through that, uh, which taught us three things. One, no one is outside of God's grasp to be used. Amen? Two, biblical faith steps out in obedience whenever, wherever, whatever God says. He just went, and that's when we saw him bust bust out of earth. And then uh, Tyler taught us that a great name is built on dependence on God, not conceit in our own ability. That crown jewel is worth um, everything uh, that Tyler laid out before us last week in um, 57 minutes. Um, he then also renamed, as a side note, he renamed Peleg Pegleg. <laughs> and he also added incest wives into the lyrics of Father Abraham. <laughs> and so that was the, the comedic moments. If you didn't catch that, go watch it on the website. And so now we're spending three weeks journeying with Abraham to see who he was, why has he got this big portion in uh, the, the book of Genesis. Um, so, so far, who is Abram? He's not special. He's certainly not perfect. Um, He gets things messed up. Um, He's a roller coaster of a man, but he's just a normal guy who is willing to obey. And that's what we've seen so far. He's not royal. And so on one hand, on one hand, it's incredibly encouraging that God uses people um, who are disinteresting and um, just kind of normal. Like hopefully that's encouraged you, that God uses that type of people And I believe that's one of the reasons that Abram is so encouraging to us. Because we identify with Abram, don't we? Just a normal guy. But God used him. Um, I think that's really, normalcy is the reason that that we like TikTok so much. (laughs) Um, Or if you're an old person, Facebook Reels. Uh, I mean, they've got my algorithm pegged, brother. I mean, when I pop it on, it's Mike Trout hitting the golf ball, um, 400 yards, and I'm like, yes, and it just kind of sucks me in. 
You know, or it'll show me one of those videos. I, I know you know what I'm talking about where it goes, no, 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 no. And then somebody trips and falls and breaks their ankle, all that kind of stuff. I get it, warped. But I think, I think we like that stuff so much because we identify with it. And we want to see Mike Trout, a normal guy, somewhat normal, hit a golf ball 450 feet. We, we like that. So we identify with it. But on the other hand... God using normal people is also a recipe for disaster, isn't it? Because we're so fickle and we're so inconsistent. And as the song says, we are so prone to wander. And so we look at this and if you feel inadequate today, if you identify with Abram, if if you feel, how could God possibly use me because I am so warped and prone to wander, then brother and sister, today is your day as we travel through these uh, chapters together. Practical encouragement, incredible encouragement. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to roll through the TikTok reel that is chapter 15, 16, 17, and 18 in one fell swoop. Uh, Would you pray with me? So God, it's good to be um, with your people um, here in um, the Lord's house, and it's good to sit under your word and so sing and all that kind of stuff, and we want to do that well today. So God, in trying to just trudge through this, I'm just going to pray in advance and trust that anything that is of value from your word will sit in our souls. And anything that is not of value and that is just rambling will be, number one, removed from the pages of my notes. Um, Number two, will certainly be removed from the heart um, and our soul. And so, Lord, do your thing um, as we chew through this, these texts together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, ready? How does God use an inadequate person? Or is there faith that's big enough for inadequate people? And I think we'll see four ways that Abraham was certainly inadequate and how faith was big enough for those things, and I hope you'll identify with those things. Number one, we're going to see a faith big enough for doubt. So I think we see a faith big enough for doubt. And right off the bat, that may start causing some angst in some of your souls because of some of the things you've been taught all your life, but I think we can see that in this text. So Abram, let's recap. And on this screen over here, uh, we're going to have verses that we won't read through, but hopefully you're reading through to make sure I'm not making this stuff up. Um, And then on this screen over here, by the wonderful technology team we have up there, give them a hand, killing it. Listen, we're, church, we're a dual screen church. We're kind of big time now. Uh, So we'll have that over there and we'll have the notes piling out over here. We'll spend most time referencing all of this stuff over here um, because, again, it's big chunks. So here's where we're at. Um, Abram has left Ur, he's landed in Egypt, he has lied about his wife being his sister, which wasn't really a lie because she also was his sister. Um, He's rescued his nephew slash brother Lot, um, and he's met this odd king priest, Melchizedek. And so in all of this, uh, Abram's been through a lot. Uh, This brother needs a vacation, if you will. Um, If not a vacation, at least a snicker bar. I mean, he needs something. He's been through quite a journey. And so this is where the Lord meets him at and where the Lord meets us. He meets him exactly where he's at, worn out, tired, exhausted, ready to doubt. 
And this is where the Lord meets him. And that's what he says. He starts off by saying, Abram, don't fear. Don't fear. Now, I mean, if you meet an angel of the Lord, like that's the first thing you want to hear from them. Because there's other times angel shows up to people and it's just not good. So he shows up and he says, don't fear. And this is exactly where he was at. He, he was fearing. He had just journeyed a thousand mile journey across territory that's rocky terrain. And so he was tired. And on top of that, I mean, the brother's pretty old. So he comes up and he says, don't fear. And then he says, I'm your shield. This is good because larger armies were everywhere. All these people were prone to attack and they could have conquered Abraham or Abram at this point. Uh, And he says, listen, I'm here and I'm your shield. I'll be the thing that covers you. And then he says, your reward shall be great. This is good because, remember, Abram has just fought a fight. Um, He's won. He's rescued Lot. And there's plunder everywhere. There's jewels and there's crowns and all this kind of stuff. How much did Abram take? Do you remember? None of it. Not a lick of it. He said, the Lord has done this, and I'm not going to take plunder for myself. And he leaves it, and the Lord rewards him for this. And so he's giving it up, and Abram says, listen, you left it. And, And God says to Abram, but I will reward you. Don't fear. I'm your shield, and I'm going to give you a reward. And don't miss his response. His response is, I don't have a child. And the child that I've got is not even mine. It's a a relative that I'm going to have to pass things on to. So God, I hear you. I hear you saying you're for me and you're with me and you're going to give me a reward. But God, how? Do you see doubt creeping in? How are you going to do this? There's no logical way. Have you ever gotten a point where you're meeting with God and God's revealing something to you? You go, God, I don't, I don't see how you possibly could do anything in my life. Because this, these things are stacked up against me. And so he has very real doubt. A few thoughts on this. One, his doubt was certainly unhappy, but it wasn't disrespectful. He was certainly unhappy, but not disrespectful. And we see that in this verse over here where he addresses him as, well, you're Lord... So, Lord, I've got some issues, but you're still Lord. So he's very respectful. You you are Lord. And he's looking for some form of proof. I need something. I need you to show me that what you say is going to come true. Because in his eyes, doubt, everything God just said seems illogical. It seems illogical, or at least that he's confused. Have you ever been at a point in your life... When the card stacked against you seems a little bit illogical. Or at least you're confused at best. You ever been there? Like, am I the only person that's been there? Y'all, y'all been there? Well, this is where he's at. And so in this moment, the question is, is there any room in real faith for real doubt? Now, some of you guys would say no. You would emphatically say no. And if you know your Bible well enough, you probably would go to James chapter 2 and start spouting off, uh, don't be a double-minded man who's unstable in all his ways. You would go there and and you'd wrestle with me on that and all that kind of stuff. And and this is just kind of your go-to. And I'm going to say that that type teaching has been the grounds for a lot of anxiety and fear in the Christian community. And it sounds a little something like this. You're sitting at a coffee table and you're sipping your coffee. And all of a sudden you're thinking on the Lord... And this thought comes in your head of, oh my gosh, it 
Am I believing the right thing? Or where am I at? Or am, am I living the right way? Or, and all of a sudden, doubt floods you. And your first response is, I must not be a believer. I'm out. I don't even have real faith. How can I possibly have real faith if I have some form of doubt? And, and you've taught that and you've heard that. And, and, and James chapter 2 has been twisted and warped. And it's, 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 that's bad teaching. But, but you've, 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 you've got that bad teaching. So you feel that. Here's what I want to say. In this moment, I'd say, oh yeah, there's definitely room in very real faith for very real doubt. And I think we, I think we see that play out in Abram, even in this moment. And, and so in other words, the question is, when doubt comes, this is the key, what does it lead you to? Does your doubt lead you to worship and fighting like you know what for faith? Or does your doubt lead you to outright rejection and rebellion? And that's the key. The issue is not doubt. The issue is what do you do with that doubt? So, so if you've been at a point in your life where you doubt and you don't feel adequate and all this kind of stuff, and you go, you know what, to what with it, and I'm going to do what I want because this is what I want, then you don't have real faith. You have real doubt, but you don't have real faith. And it's just caused you to bolt. However, if you've ever been in doubt and feel inadequate and all this kind of stuff, and all of a sudden you go, ah, I'm doubting, and that's called you to press in and to fight and to war and go, why am I doubting? You begin praying, you've been seeking the Lord. I would say that's actually a movement of the Spirit in your heart to drive you further. I guess what I'm saying, church, is I'd rather have a church full of people who are fighting their tails off to battle into heaven, as Paul would say, working out their salvation with fear and, say it, and trembling. I'd rather have a church full of people fighting for that type of salvation than a church full of apathetic people who are going to bust hell wide open. Of course, I'm a believer because my grandpa took me to church and my uncle was a preacher, and so of course I'm in faith. I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. Let's just go do what we want. So I think we see this ballast, and I hope that frees some of you. And so God responds. God responds tenderly to this humble, worshipful, doubting, fighting Abraham. You say how he approaches him? He's doubting, and he goes, God, I don't have a kid. How are you going to do this? Talk to me. Now that's worship. Worship when we bring our questions before the Lord. And so God gives him, as you well know, a four-part covenant. This is the four-part covenant um, of Abraham or called the Abrahamic covenant. He says, listen, here's your answer. You're going to be blessed. You're going to have your own son. This is the first time he's been told that he's going to have his own son. Three times he's been told there's going to be an heir or a son possibly through another lineage or his cousins or something like that, which was definitely the cultural norm. Chapter 12, verse 2, chapter 12, verse 7, chapter 13, verses 14, 16. And now the covenant, God says, here, listen. I'm going to give you a little bit more of the truth, you doubter. It's going to be your own biological son. It's going to be your son. And then number three, your offspring is going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, which we already know. And then he says, you're going to take control of a very specific piece of land. So it was a very real faith, a 
very real doubt and a very real response. And so in this very real faith, let's look at a few things on this. Chapter 15, verse 6, this passage contains the phrase that drives the hope we have today as Christians. It drives the hope that all Christianity has ever had, and it's the only reason we don't ultimately give up. Let's look at how he responds in real faith. The verse says this, chapter 15, verse 6, Abraham, in the midst of doubt, after he asked questions, after God responded, Abraham believed God, and it was what? Counted to him as righteousness. Where did his righteousness come from? Because all of a sudden he heard God and said, all right, I'm going to get my stuff together. I'm going to go work it out. I'm going to go work hard for you. Is that what happened? No. What did Abraham do? He heard God. He sat down and he said, I believe you. That's real faith. That's the essence of faith. So if you're a believer in here and you're wrestling, where am I at? Who am I? All this kind of stuff. The question is not, are you doing this? Are you doing that? Are you working it out? The question is, are you believing? Are you believing is the question. And so in this moment, it's quoted three times in full in the New Testament. Romans chapter 4 quotes it. Galatians chapter 3 quotes it. James chapter 2 quotes it. And in all of these passages, the whole point is the law will never measure up. The law will never accomplish what you need to attain righteousness and only faith will. In Romans chapter 4, Paul quotes what Abraham says. And he says, Abraham wasn't saved by faith. As a matter of fact, he trafficked his wife and he crossed illegal borders. He says David wasn't saved by... I'm sorry. I just said Abraham wasn't saved by faith, didn't I? Scratch that, rewind it. (laughs) He wasn't saved by the law. Uh, David wasn't saved by the law. David was this adultering, lying murderer. And he says Gentiles aren't saved by the law. Gentiles don't even know what the law is. The whole point of all this is faith transcends the law. And that's where your comfort comes from. That's where your hope of eternal life comes from. That's what wars against your doubt. The question is not, did you spend 24 hours last week praying? The question is not, did you spend 24 hours last week reading your Bible? The question is, are you believing? And that transcends the law. That's good it's good stuff, church. And so with that said, James chapter 2 then quotes this and says we're saved by faith alone, but not faith that is alone. We're saved by faith that's alone, but it produces something. That genuine faith will produce real outcomes, this outflow. In other words, an outflow of works can't produce an inflow of righteousness. However... An inflow of belief and faith and righteousness will always produce an outflow of works. That's two totally different things. Don't get it backwards. I can assure you, if you're in fear and anxiety over your salvation, number one, it could be conviction of the Lord. We'll talk about that if you'd like to talk. (laughs) But number two, it's usually because you're looking at your works and not your faith. And I press you to look at your faith First, are you believing? And then is it producing? So I think we see that in this text. 
So Abraham has this very real faith. He believes it's the same word as amen. In other words, Abraham said to God, I believe you, or amen, what you said, God, I believe. And then how did this faith rise up? Did he do more? Did he activate it somehow? No, he just sat down. He just sat down and believed that God's promise and not his activity was enough. And then what does that produce? And it produces righteousness. That believing, that type faith, that amending God produces righteousness. And Abraham got a right standing with God, and that was enough. Catch that, church. That was enough to calm all of his doubt, his faith. Those with ears to hear that, hear deeply. And so with that said, so Christians, yes, we fight our tendency to doubt, but yes, we rest in the power of faith. God will meet you in your fear. God will meet you in your doubt. God will speak to you through faith and not your activity. So praise the Lord. He is not limited or shocked by our doubt. Chapter 15. Chapter 16. Here we go. Is there a faith big enough for idiocy? Now I use this word very loosely, um, but I do mean the word truly idiocy. So here's the deal. So at this point, surely Abram has it figured out. I mean, he just met with God. Surely he's got it locked away, right? So he's got it figured out, all squared away. His faith is soaring. Man, oh, how those whose faith tends to soar also tends to do what? Come crashing down like a kite, right? And so in this moment, this is going to lead to this crash. He's got this confidence, and in his enthusiastic confidence, he ends up crashing. And so he's just going to kind of become this idiot for a moment. We're all prone to this. Um, I did this just a couple of years ago. Well, <laughs> I'm sure I did this this morning, all right, to be clear, and also yesterday and the day before. But me and Julie Beth were in California at a, at a conference, and we went to a Dodgers game. It was awesome. And on the way there, of course, I'm a man, and, and I figured out how to get there. And so, of course, on the way back, I know how to get back because I've already figured out the way to get there. And if I got there one way, I can certainly get us back. So Julie Beth is like, hey, no, let's, let's take some time. And I'm like, no, we're going to beat this traffic. Let's go. All of a sudden, we're lost. And I had got so confident on my way over there to track my way there that I thought we could get back. Well, apparently we didn't. We get off. So we exit off the exit, and all of a sudden, she begins to just get nervous. And if you all know Julie Beth, she's like right here. She don't spike up. She don't spike down. She's just right here. She is physically distraught. And I'm like, what is so wrong? Why, why, we're lost, yes, but why so wrong? And she said, babe, that sign says that we're in Compton. <laughs> <laughs> and so I am like, Snoop Dogg, the LBC. You know, I'm like, okay, Compton. And she is like, we're going to die. So in my confidence, we end up in <laughs> LBC. East Coast fam. So here's the deal. So we can do that, can't we? We get so confident and arrogant on these highs. Yes, I'm I'm believing. Yes, I'm trusting. And in that moment, we're prone, if we're not careful, to come crashing really hard. And this is what's going to go on with Abraham. Is their faith big enough this? Idiocy, just simply meaning irrational responses, erratic behaviors. Abraham decides, I'm going to help out God. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to shortcut faith. 
And so here's the deal. Sarah is completely discontent with God's timing and his plan. Her flower was fading, proverbially, if you will. Her biological clock had done, been ticked, okay? So Sarah arranges for her husband to sleep with the servant, Hagar. And this at least seems semi-logical because, again, remember, the promise is he's going to have a son. The mom has never been mentioned. So it's normal in the culture that they can have sons with multiple people. So this is going on. So it's plausible, it's practical, it's humanistic, and it's, it's outside the box. In other words, our outside the box, I'm going to help you, God, by acquiring a cultural norm to accomplish what you want to accomplish will get us in trouble way quicker than we ever dreamed or imagined instead of just waiting on the Lord. So he looks, and so sadly, there's this twisted part. Now the disaster of a triangular marriage occurs for the first time in the Bible. And so Abraham, who had just listened to the voice of God and believed him, the scripture says, now listens to the voice of his wife. He gave her away in Egypt to Pharaoh, and now she's giving him away to an Egyptian slave. It's all kind of seven layers of warped. And so all kinds of fallout occurs in this. Um, This idiotic moment, marital fallout occurs. One flesh unity now becomes a triunity in their relationship. And so some of you guys have felt the sting of this. By going your own way, you felt the sting of now I'm married to multiple people and it's, it's this mind job and I'm sorry that, that that's happened. But you felt that. And so you look at Abraham and go, he don't look like an idiot to me, he looks pretty normal. And my point to both of you is this, there's a faith that's big enough for that. And so Abram finds himself here. There's an emotional fallout. Hagar has divine favor. Sarah can't get pregnant. So God must be against her is the thinking. And so now Hagar goes, but I got pregnant. So God's not against me. And she gets all kind of cocky and all kind of prideful. I mean, after all, why would she not go ahead and start getting the room ready? Why would she not take the selfie pic with with the baby pose? Why would she not do that? Why would she not... I have the little, um, um, what are the little cakes called at the baby showers? The pe- um, pettit fours. The little pettit fours? You know what I'm talking about, them little cakes? Why would she not have that? Why would she not do all the things? Why would she not be proud? Why would she not strut herself? Why would she not bless the Lord? Look at me. And so there's this emotional wreck now between servant and maidservant. And so we've got a marital fallout, we've got an emotional fallout, now we've got a relational fallout. There's not one noble person in this whole triangle through this situation. Hagar doesn't have any compassion. Sarah erupts like a volcano and erupts not on Hagar but on Abram, drives out the woman and the child. Abraham, as a patriarch, should have owned the whole debacle, but he doesn't. He reduces Hagar to an inanimate object and just goes, do whatever you want to do with her. I don't care. It's just a cluster. Can God use that type person? And then there's a religious fallout. The religious fallout is very simple, but also very uh, withstanding even today. That being that Ishmael is born. Ishmael is birthed. And guess who Ishmael's lineage leads into religiously? Anyone? Islam. The Muslims. All of this is chaos. How could God use somebody like that? 
And so in this moment, what is the lesson and the encouragement for us? Because yes, there's grace. But sometimes sins and their effects can't be undone, can they? Not on this side of eternity. Futuristically, yeah. But sometimes Islam still arrives. And so where's the hope for us in this? Here's the hope. That God uses these three knuckleheads just like he uses us still to accomplish his purpose. He goes on and does it anyway. There's, there's no perfect strides, I guess we could say, on the racetrack of Christianity. And so it's good for us to look back at Abraham, this person of great faith, and go, but he was a doubter. Yes, I'm a doubter. Can he still use me? Yes. But he was an idiot <laughs> in the truest sense of the word. Idiot. And you need to hear that you're an idiot. Because I am too. We all are. That's who we are in our sin. And God still uses idiocy to accomplish his purposes. And so this bunch of misfits goes on to this great plan of redemption. And so let's just be careful to think out of the box and try to accomplish what God only can accomplish. And let's trust him that faith is enough to unfurl his grand plan of redemption. I don't want to outer, but in our systematic theology class just this last week, Grace, gracious Alicia, <laughs> she, Lisa was sitting up there and, and she was just kind of contemplating knowledge and, and how much we got to know and all this kind of stuff. And the room was able to just kind of wrap around her and go, hey, oh. Paul said, I didn't come to you with plausible words of wisdom. I just decided to preach to you Christ and Christ crucified. And that was enough. It's enough for you. It's enough for your family. It's enough for your neighbors. Do you believe in Christ's atonement? All right, now keep going. All right, so with that said, let's be careful, patient, seeking, waiting, praying, thinking, fasting, worshiping, and all we do, and praise the Lord. He is not surprised or disoriented by our idiocy. idiocy. Number three, we get to chapter 17. Chapter 17, 1 through 27. Is faith big enough for self-strategy? We've already seen this unfurl. It's 13 years later. Ishmael is now a teenage man. In that day and time, he truly was a teenage man. He's, uh, Abram is a proud dad. They've uh, got into the new normal, whatever that word means. They've got a new rhythm of new normal. And he's hoping that Ishmael will ultimately fulfill the covenant. He's hoping, okay, somehow God, just let Ishmael do it because me and uh, my wife can't do it. And so this is my strategy. Now the Lord's going to override all of it and he's going to take matters into his own hands. The Lord shows up and he appears on his own volition, which is the exact same way that you met with the Lord. Did you catch that? John chapter 3. How does someone come to Christ is the question. Jesus answers, it's like the Spirit. Like the wind. The wind moves and blows wherever he wants to, whenever he wants to, however he wants to. On his own volition, he shows up and awakens the heart unto faith. And that's exactly what happens here with Abram. He's just hanging out, and all of a sudden, boom, the Lord shows up. And this word that's used here, as the Lord appears, is El Shaddai. Now, you guys remember the song El Shaddai? El Shaddai. I don't know the rest, El Yamyana, Adonai, whatever. Uh, I'm not uh, Sandy Patty or whoever it was, you know. Amy Grant, there we go, yeah. So 
this El Shaddai, he shows up. Now, this is a cool word here um, that's used for God. God says, listen, I am El Shaddai. This word is used 31 times in the book of Job. You remember Job? Wrestling, struggling. God shows up and he goes, I am God, El Shaddai, the God who can. That's his name means. I can do it. I'm almighty. I can overcome anything you've come up with. That's how powerful I am. And that's how encouraging he is to us, church. That he can overcome anything we've come up with. Right? And so his plans, his timetable, his initiative is always for our good, even when we won't get it. El Shaddai shows up and he changes Abram's name to Abraham. If this wouldn't have happened, you would have sang Father Abram. And that just doesn't even ring off the tongue, right? So Father Abraham, here he shows up. And names at this time are tied to character and destiny. Uh, And so in this moment, his name gets changed to the father of nations, not just the father of Ishmael. And also, he is now the father of kings, is what his name means. The father of nations and the father of kings, which is true, because through him comes David, through him comes Solomon, and ultimately, church, through him comes Jesus the king of kings, all the way back here in Mesopotamia. And so God shows up. And so I guess what I'm saying is this. We celebrate Palm Sunday right before Easter, right? And we think of Palm Sunday as, okay, this is this moment in time about 2,000 years ago. Church, Palm Sunday began all the way back in Genesis. You'll birth the king of kings. And so God changes his character and his destiny. It's marked by this moment. I pray if you're an unbeliever that today is this moment for you. That you trust in the King of Kings. And He changes your character and your identity and your destiny today. And if you're a believer, I pray you reflect back to when He changed your character and destiny by drawing your heart in faith to Himself. The Lord renews the covenant. He then adds one more radical element, overcoming all of Abram's self-strategy. So the covenant still had the personal blessing, the personal land, the personal God, and a personal son. But now all of a sudden the covenant now contains this radical element of circumcision. And so this is something that Abram, or Abraham now, would have never picked to be part of the covenant. Amen? Like he'd been like, yes, God, I want you to do all these things. And so here's where we're going to pray, and we're going to have a party, and we're going to have some food. And God goes, no, you're going to believe me and you're going to go to all the men and you're going to... And Abraham, at this point, if this brother's faith has never been tested, it is definitely now tested. (laughs) Imagine God calls one of you to stand up and go, hey, we're going to cut off everybody's earlobe. Everybody in here would bolt out the door and never show up again, okay? And so in this moment, there's this radical element and, and rainbows had existed back in Noah's day, but, but God says, now I'm going to take the rainbow and I'm going to attach it and you're going to remember me through this. The cross had already existed before Jesus' day. But at the cross, the Father says, now we're going to take the cross and it's always going to be a constant reminder of redemption. It's the same in this. Circumcision had already existed in Egypt, but God says, I'm going to take what's pagan and I'm going to make you remember how faithful I am forever. Through this, And so he does that, and he takes that. So Abraham had tried to take matters in his own hands, but now God is going to say, listen, no, 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 no. We're going to do it this way to remind you that it's not by your flesh, but it's by my might. 
Every time you see and think about this portion of flesh that's cut off, it will be a reminder that it is not by your flesh that you survive, but it's by my will. And so Abram's heart was prone to rest in his ability, his self-strategy to make God smile, just like all of us if we're not careful. But this will be a constant reminder that the heart can only be changed by God. Abraham is going to make up his own way. And God says, no, I'm going to make up my way. And so this is all done at the cost, once again, remember Genesis, of blood sacrifice. It's always a blood sacrifice over and over and over. And if you're looking at me going, what are you talking about? Please go to the website and track back all the times blood, blood sacrifices have occurred, ultimately pointing to the one sacrifice that would cover us all. With that said, rings at weddings are certainly reminders of a pure, unending, circular, precious moment that's attached to a date. But God doesn't do, use a ring... Because a ring, as the sign of his covenant, we can do what with? We'll just toss it in the trash if we want to. He says, oh no, this will be an unending covenant. And so in this covenant of circumcision, any other symbol can be tossed away, but not that. And I will not toss away my covenant promise to you. That's good. That's like a whole three sermons right there, isn't it, Tyler? Tyler will be doing that on Wednesday nights to cover that for the rest of the year. Uh, with that said, the Lord changes Sarah's name to Sarah, <laughs> Sarai to Sarah. And this is cool too because now her name is literally changed to princess. And as we know, princesses birth what? Kings. Her name is changed to a princess. God is so good <laughs> at taking our mess and making it royalty. And then Abraham laughs, he bargains, his, his kite's flying high, but it crashes again. He's going to bargain. His faith is pushed to the max in this moment, and, and it just becomes comical to him. And in the moment when your faith finally makes you just giggle and throw up your hands and go, that doesn't make any sense, and then you laugh and go, but I'm just going to trust you, in that very moment, you're probably in the best moment you can ever be in in faith. When you just throw up your hands and go, I don't see how that's possible. And you giggle and go, God, if that's going to happen, then you're going to have to pull it off. That's when you know you're at a good spot. And so in this moment, he's giggling. And uh, then Abraham accepts the terms. He believes. And in this, God says, oh, yeah, I'm going to take your laughter. Oh, yeah, by the way, your son's name is going to be Isaac. The one I'm going to give you is going to be named Isaac. And guess what Isaac means? Laughter. Only God can do this. Take a downing idiot full of self-strategy and go, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to change your name to the father of kings. I'm going to change your wife's name to the father, um, the princess of a king. And I'm going to name your son that comes out of him laughter. What a beautiful picture of faith. And so then Abram circumcises everybody, but he can't circumcise the heart. He knows that will take a miracle. And at the cross, the true and better Abraham comes to circumcise our hearts once and for all. And so in this moment, Christ on the cross is literally cut off for you and for me once again a blood 
sacrifice to redeem us back to the Father. It's so good. Church, if you haven't picked up already that from Genesis to Revelation, there is just one theme that keeps going, please see it right now in this passage. It's the theme of the Bible. It's not a series of disconnected stories. It's one story. It's a love story of how God loves you enough so much to give away His Son to redeem us once and for all. And with that said, praise the Lord. He is not hindered by our plans and our strategy. So church, live a life believing El Shaddai, that God can. He can do what? He can do all of it. That's what El Shaddai means. And you'll live a full, confident life. However, if your understanding of God is anything less than all-powerful, all-conquering, then you will live an impotent life believing in yourself constantly that you have to pull off what God cannot pull off. And that's a sad way to live. Sit back, shut up, rest, and believe in faith. That's Nicholson Commentary 101. Chapter 18, here we go. Faith big enough for doubters, a faith big enough for idiocy, a faith big enough for our own self-strategy that he overcomes, and then a faith big enough for questions. God shows up. There's a divine feast that's going to occur. As a matter of fact, Sarah produces seven quarts of flour. That's a pretty big party for just a couple of people. Um, She's super leery. She's super skeptical. She's got a lot of questions. And just as a side note, this passage is the only time God ever sits down and has a meal with man until Christ comes. The only time God ever shows up and sits down and has a meal with man. Uh, There's no meaning to that um, other than I just think it's pretty cool. And it's just interesting information. This is a light bulb moment for Abraham. This light bulb moment. The man says, I will return and you will have a son. Now remember, God is the one who came up and said, you're going to have a son. This guy all of a sudden shows up to this dinner party and says, hey... I'm going to return to you, and you will have that son. And in that moment, Abram chokes on a lamb bone and goes, Oh my, this is God himself. Only God could know that. Only God is the one that could do this. And so Sarah doesn't see the light bulb yet, but she's about to. She hears the conversation. She overhears it as she's preparing the food. And she laughs, and she questions to herself this. And these cards are stacked against her. And her questions are, I am worn out. (laughs) Nature has spoken. The way of the woman is upon me. Menopause had occurred. She goes, this doesn't make any sense. Other cards are stacked against her, not just in relation to her, but look what she says about Abraham. She says, that dude's old. (laughs) Now you can take that to mean exactly what it means. He's old. His pleasure... Is gone. She's laughing. She's mocking. Remember, there were no meds back in the day. And in this moment, she goes, the cards are stacked against us. Can God use a person who throws out questions to God? Oh, yeah. (laughs) He's so gracious. God takes her questions and ours, and he responds to them. And here's what he says. Why are you laughing? Why are you questioning And then she gets it. Because she denies it and goes, I didn't ask that. And he calls her out and he says, this is exactly what you were thinking in your heart. And now all of a sudden, she's looking for a lamb bone to choke on. (laughs) 
She's going, how did he know this? She realizes, okay, this is God himself almighty showing us that this meal was way more for Sarah than it was Abraham. God had to suck her along now. And so in the midst of her questions, there's a home run verse that occurs. And God says in the midst of her questions, is there anything too hard for the Lord? The answer resoundingly, church, is no, no. Did I not create you? I know how infertile your life is. I know you've been through menopause. But dear lady, your limits do not define my boundaries. (laughs) Somebody should shout, church. I know your thoughts. I know all men's thoughts. And your thoughts, your questions, your strategies, your limitations do not limit me. I'm God Almighty. What a passage, church. Your heart beats because I make it pulse. Are you confused in this room? There's hope for you. Are you sad in this room? There's hope for you. Are you wrestling in this room? There's hope for you. Are you burnt out in this room? Can I get an amen? There's hope for you. He knows how much gas is in your car. And he knows how much gas is left in your soul. Ben, come on back up. Oh, even Mary. You go, oh, that's fun. Abram, he was a mess. Even Mary was a mess, right? Hey, Mary. I'm going to give you a child. That child's going to save your people from the sins. And she goes, uh, negative. I'm a virgin. That's what she did. She was like, I'm a virgin. (laughs) Questions. And then God looks at her and goes, you are. Yep, you are. And the child that comes from you is going to be the most glorious thing the world's ever seen. Praise the Lord. He's not interested in our ability, but... His own glory. And praise the Lord. Side note, that the glorious one will dine with non-glorious friends. What a great passage. A couple of takeaways. If Abraham's faith is a model example for all of us as an encouragement, and it is, that's what Hebrews 11 says, then what does that even look like? Here's what model biblical faith looks like. Can you identify with that, church? You're this way, but through Christ, He is faithful. To author your faith and to perfect your faith. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Well, Lord Jesus, a lot of, lot of, lot of words... Again, I do pray that anything that was distracting from the gospel, I pray it is totally wiped away. But anything that causes us to look at our insufficiency and your sufficiency, let it grow into not just justification, but sanctification and redemption. So God... 
We look at Abram and we think about the fact that he was not doing righteousness, but was credited with righteousness. Will you give us faith like that? God, faith that truth of the gospel will trump our emotions and our feelings. God, that we'll realize that we may not, quote, quote, feel anything until the day of glory, but that we'll ride the truth of faith all the way there. And may it produce in us the exact same thing that you gave to Abram, a smile. (laughs) That you'll smile on us despite our doubt, our idiocy, our strategy, and our questions. That we'll rest in Christ and Christ alone. And we'll experience the same providential smile today that you cast upon him. More of Jesus, less of us.